I was like, oh, sorry. Like, I don't, do you have the right person? Are you sure? I, I didn't remember that tweet at all. And it was a year later, you know, uh, what are we memorizing tweets that we've, <laughs> we've tweeted? Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making in this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. Today's guest is a writer, actor, songstress, and D&D pro who starred in The Dungeon Run, The Iron Keep Chronicles, The Newsroom, and more. It is always fantastic. Amy Vorpole. Hello, hello. Great intro. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's uh, it's about you, so you just got some oh, good, so good stats. Oh, so super great. Of course, of course. We know each other, but I don't know what was your journey into kind of acting and performing and writing and all that stuff. Was that oh, when you were when you were young, it was like, yep, that's what I'm going to do. Or was it like later in life? You're like, oh, I guess I like doing this. It was definitely young. So I grew up in Malaysia and it was an, at an expatriate school and um, where basically we started as just four people, four girls in a school with one teacher and then it grew by the time I left four years later, it had grown to, I think, 15 kids, 15 kids total that spanned kindergarten through sixth grade, maybe 17 kids, something like that. But the big, the big thing, you know, it's, it's such a tight community and they, they had two teachers at that point, but it was like high focus on everything as high focus, you know, the math, everything felt like having an individual tutor, you would go to stations and then lots of arts, lots of you know, physical education and, and sports and just like a lot of hands-on, like everything was taught, but that did include a ton of performances and most of them were musicals uh, because kids singing is adorable. And that, you know, at age five or four or five was when I kind of got into just performing, I guess, in general. Then I, I did go, I did do a lot of theater in school when we came back to the States and then a lot, a lot of musicals in high school and stuff and then I went to college for acting didn't get into the musical theater program because mommy cannot dance and that is necessary to be in the musical theater program tried to remedy that with um with dance classes my senior year and so I, I, I'm bringing this up because I just was telling the story to someone in one week I was I was Maria in The Sound of Music, pretty great, big role, you know, a lot of applause for that. And then a week later or days later, I was performing in like a, a, a town far away with eight-year-olds. I'm, I'm an 18-year-old and I'm trying to do ballet and, and not succeeding. And I can't remember any of the steps. So I'm just watching the teacher like every, every, the eight-year-olds memorized the dance better than I did. And it, and some people were at both, like some parents were at the, they were like, you're Maria and you're this like floundering, flopping shrimp <laughs> seal of a ballet dancer on the stage who, who can't, like, it just didn't, it didn't compute. And it was very much like, wow, the mighty have fallen. It was like, Amy, stay in your lane. Um, but then, I don't know, that's, that's fun. And then I went to college, did acting, then came out here, came out to Los Angeles uh, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now in your family, are you the only kind of performer? Do other people perform as well or have that side of them or? 
for a long time, I would say, I would have said, yes, I'm the only performer, but, but, you know, with Instagram, everyone's creative. Like Jenny, my twin has a way better singing voice than I do. She, she's like a powerhouse. Um, and then, and then, um, and she was also playing the French horn. Amanda has been, she's got a master's in biotechnology, but also was a ballroom dancer and then a ballroom dance teacher professionally. And then now she makes cakes. So that, or decorates cakes and makes them and they're awesome. And then Angela is a law school, a law school student coach, but arguably she, she's just on Instagram way more than me and arguably is acting, you know, like she's making those reels and using the sound bites. And it is like all intents and purposes. She's, she's acting like, and she's a great actor. So she's performing. It's not in the way that I guess you would ever have thought about it 10 years ago, but mm. now it's re- it would be really hard for me to say I'm the only performer in my family. Gotcha. Does Jenny ever get sad that she's the only J name or does she appreciate it? <laughs> we make her sad about it. That's yeah. what happens. <laughs> we point it out all the time. You're like, we're triple A. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, she was the first born. So they already had that name planned anyway. And then it all it all went to A is after that. They even made up my name on the spot because I was a surprise. I was a surprise twin. They didn't know. They thought oh. they were having one kid. <laughs> oh, wow. There yeah. you were showing up uh, over the years of performing and everything. I always like to know, have you given yourself a definition of success? Oh God, Daniel. Yeah. What sorry. An annoying question. We're what taking is it there. <laughs> that, next question will be, tell me your strengths and your weaknesses. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Yes. Um, if you could describe yourself as an animal, what would it be? I said, I would say I've had, I've had different views of success. Um, and I think, I think, and I still, it's very strange. So I think I have been successful, but, but it was always, I guess the main one for a long time was I want to earn, earn all of my money as an income from the, from acting. And then it was like broadened to acting and writing. And then it was just broadened because by nature of how I was getting paid, just the entertainment industry. Um, and and I think that that for a long time meant success to me. It was like earning all my income from uh, from the entertainment industry. That that was like some pinnacle. I don't know why that was in my brain, but that seems, sounds normal, right? Yeah. 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 Just realizing like basically being able to kind of survive, make a living off of the, the passion, the thing, the purpose you've been kind of driven to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but now you're catching me at a weird time in my life because I'm, I'm kind of redefining everything. So I like the, the short answer that we have time for on this podcast is I don't know. And I haven't really quite decided yet, but it has a lot more to do with um, peace and calm mm-hmm. and happiness, but more peace and calm. Like, yeah. So, so I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm like, I still want money. <laughs> I still want to, I want things and, and material things. And I, I want fuck tons of money. Actually. I, I, I like money. Um, but, but I, I guess I don't want it at the expense of other things. So I don't know a clear thing yet, but I know that if, for my future, I want way more peace and calm than we're in my twenties or even early thirties. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's, you know, part of the definition of success is it should evolve and change and grow with where you're at in life because you can hit these milestones of like oh okay I'm doing that well now yeah. I need to you know 
push it and see where it's going. Um, what are some moments in your life where you feel like you've hit uh, either like success markers or milestones? I mean, I mentioned Marie and the Sound of Music. That that still is a North Star for me. And it's not necessarily just because it was like number one on the call sheet or it was it was my senior year in high school. And yes, I was the lead of the play. And yes, it was like, you know, a cool event diagram of my skills and talents. But I was also the president of the theater company. And at, and it was more about the leadership of that, which was like, oh, you're Maria, like be the Maria of the whole cast. Like there were children in the cast there. It, it involved the entire orchestra from the band, you know, a, a slew of nuns of the choir. So it was like the arts, the, the different arts schools all came together to make this musical happen. And at the forefront, I, I felt like such responsibility to set the tone. And I, in, in hindsight, like I didn't know that at the time, but, I, but also in hindsight, I think I did a really good job of it. And I liked that leadership position where, you know, make it, make it important to say thank you to everybody, say hi, make sure everyone knew that I knew their names, like just, just stuff like that, you know, and respect the director, like all, all of that stuff. I feel like it, and then, and then also in, involve the kids. Oh, the kids, you know, don't know what we're talking about. Someone needs to play with them or involve them or, you know, engage them. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. Um, and just well, making everyone feel welcome. So that for, for mostly those reasons, but also you know, it's nice to be the star. And then, and then later on uh, out here in Los Angeles, you know, making all of my living for, for many years and still today from only the entertainment industry. So like hitting that milestone was, and then, and then, you know, holding on to it for many years was really validating and cool. Um, so, so, you know, making the money from the entertainment industry uh, for a long time, it was Nerdland, digital Nerdland, um, and like videos and Nerdist and Geek and Sundry and RPG games and D&D is what I'm calling digital Nerdland. Mostly that was the, um, my income and my jobs and my employment. But then there was a, I was on, I still, I still really like that I was on HBO on the newsroom. It was just a co-star, but that was pretty chill. And then the other big one is um, I am a published author in, uh, in two official Dungeons and Dragons hardback books. That is incredible. That uh, feels like winning. Yeah, that's a big win, I would say. Uh, what, uh, how do you kind of get into the digital nerd land world and D&D, &D, like, you know, similar, I guess, to the performing acting, when did all that interest start up and when did that kind of? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's, it's many of those skills, like talk about a Venn diagram overlapping. It, I mean, you played D&D, &D, it's a lot of acting, a lot of writing as the dungeon master and, and um, a lot of prep. And then, it, and then when it's all time to roll cameras, it's uh, improv. So all good there. But how I got into it was uh, I, was in, I was in Groundlings for a long time. And, and after, I can't remember when I started, but I started streaming D&D &D with my friends, started playing um, on Twitch. And that was on Saving Throw Show. And then, and then, kind of around that time I was doing Groundlings did Sunday Company for the listeners it's a six, six month sketch program where you make a new sketch show every week uh, boot camp for SNL basically and then but I only got one six month which there are three to get if, if you're good enough um, or if someone decides that you're good enough uh, but <laughs> um, but then <laughs> 
after that, I started working. I just, I got a job at Buzzfeed because I had made some little videos on the internet. And then from there, that was only like a two month thing. And then, and then two things happened. What happened was I made a video that went viral is about, because this got a lot of attention. That video turned into me selling a half hour show to Hulu. Uh, you know, it, that process was like a year or two years. And, but that's, oh, that's another success thing I would say, selling a show that are, that, you know, we were meant to act in it as well. So that was cool. But then the other thing that happened was I got hired to write on a web series that sort of led to me get getting a writer job as a nerd joke writer for kind of a weekend update style late night show for nerd things and and all that time I'm playing D&D &D and video games just because I like them but the world that it was for is Comic-Con HQ when they had their own digital service and it was a it was a comedy a comedy late night show about nerd stuff and I'll tell you that's that was outside of my realm like that was a that was panicking because I I didn't know I couldn't when I got hired I didn't know if Batman was DC or Marvel like that was how far away I was from comic land but they hired me <laughs> because they had they had they were trying out people and I was the last one they were trying out and it was four dudes ahead of me one of them was arguably drunk the whole time yeah, everyone got a week trial one of them was like too fanboy about the host or something tried to get him to come to dinner and was like a little pushy about being friends one of them was too like up the asshole of nerddom which like we can't make that joke because spider-man would never do that like that kind of thing okay and then yeah. and then another guy was something else but I think I got the job because I was I I was funny. Maybe I didn't have all of the knowledge, but those are a Wikipedia away. Yeah. And then I was just a pleasant person. Like I wasn't an asshole, I think. Yeah. And that led into getting nerdist writing jobs and geek and sundry and and doing all of that. So that's the long road of how I got into it. But I think that's worth it because that's been like the bulk of the last seven years. So yeah, that's fascinating. And I would, I would agree with you. The bigger selling point is just being a pleasant, nice, kind person in those rooms, because even if someone's like has encyclopedic knowledge and writes and creates the perfect jokes, they're an asshole. It's like, at the end of the day, it's like, I'd rather work with the person who might have to Google something every now and again, but I, I like hanging out with them than the person who's going to make me feel miserable, but their jokes so great. Uh, well, getting published, uh, what was, what was like, kind of that process or that experience for you because that's a huge uh, that thing was to be really cool so yeah. um chris perkins who who is a, a dungeons and dragons you know mastermind a dungeon master game writer game director for the the entire wizards of the coast so he tweeted out one day who anyone i know on twitter has written adventures or would like to and, the, and I responded because I had written for my, our friend, David Crennan's uh, Dungeon in a Box. I'd written some adventures for him. And I was like, I've written some stuff. And, and, and so months went by, maybe even a year. And at one point I got a DM from a guy named Bill who works at Wizards of the Coast. And he was like, hey, would you like, I, I'm going to send you an email. What's your email? 
oh, and then the email was like, would you like to write for, submit an adventure for uh, an anthology adventure book? And, and I was like, oh, sorry, like, I don't, do you have the right person? Are you sure? I, I didn't remember that tweet at all. And it was a year later, you know, uh, what are we memorizing tweets that we've, <laughs> we've tweeted? And he, and, and, and I mean, yeah, long story short, he asked me if I wanted to write an adventure. So that, of course I did. Then there was a pitch process where you pitched what you wanted to write or what the mystery or the hook was, and then what monsters or types of monsters you wanted to include. Um, mine immediately got the green light and, and Chris said it was delightful, which I still have that email and it still means a lot. Cause I just pitched, I pitched something kind of ridiculous, but I was like, this would be fun, you know? And with D&D being a game, I think fun is the pinnacle of the priority of what you're trying to write as far as an adjective. If you could have, an, if you could have your D&D game be one thing, I think it's fun. So then, you, then I wrote, which they gave you a 15 page style formatting guide for writing, which, you know, not for the faint of heart, let's just say that. And then yeah. he was very much like, follow this guide, you, you must. But that's a that's a bit of a learning curve and then you send it in and then months later you get revisions and you get to do a draft two and the revisions were monumental but extremely clear and followable so it was fine you know like it was mm. it, at least it wasn't vague like i don't know could you change the tone and you're like what the hell is happening so it was fine it was just like a lot of work and the main the main hardship is when you're writing an adventure it was all of this every single one of the the adventures were meant to be a mystery and so when you're writing a mystery you want to write it as if you're reading a mystery which is like hiding some you know uh hiding the mcguff hiding well not a mcguffin but but red herrings hiding some stuff twists and turns but for writing an adventure you have to front load it because it's a your adventure is a letter to the dungeon master you're not playing it. You're not the player. You're not the, you're not even the dungeon master. You're saying, Hey, dungeon master, here's what you need to know to run this adventure. So you list all of the twists and turns at the top. You say, here's what's mm. really going on. Um, don't, you don't get it twisted, but here's the information you need to twist it for your characters, for your player characters. And, and so that, that was the main kind of brain move that I had to do was I'm not writing a novel, I'm not writing a story, I'm writing an Ikea directions manual for a playground where infinite, where the other people can be infinite, but I'm writing something extremely finite. And that, that broke my brain because as a dungeon master, you're like, I got the bullet points, we'll fucking see what they do, you know? But as an adventure writer, it's gotta be really nitty gritty and the doors have to be, what are they even made of? And what's the lighting situation? And, and, and is this, is, is, would this be an option? And if it is, where, where are the care, where are the NPCs? Are they here? Are they there? So. Amazing. That's so exciting. Now as someone who also plays D and D, do you have a particular uh, type of class or character or role you like to play usually when you're playing, or you like to try to dabble in all types? I really like Druids. I really like Warlocks. The warlock, I guess, is my favorite just because it's a it's a built-in it's a built-in relationship with the dungeon master because they have to play your patron, your demon patron, which is how you get magic in the first place. So 
the way I, I play warlocks. I'm like, this is what, this is me. This is my character. And then this is what my patrons like. Good luck. You know, it's kind of like having a sentient familiar. You're like, and now you do the voice of my horse, you know? So it's similar to that, but it's very necessary because every time you're going to be attacking or using your Eldritch Blast, you're, you're getting, you're getting magic from another being on another plane. And throughout your existence, you have a connection to that patron that, yeah, the DM should just play that character <laughs> with you. Yeah. So even, I guess it's, it's like in, in an instance where you're like, you feel like you're not doing all that much, you can kind of dance monkey dance and, and turn the spotlight on you uh, when, when there's not, you know, I guess it's like, I guess I attack or I, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, well, there's, there's like, a plan B always to to just kind of mm. have a conversation internally with your dungeon master um, as the patron. Yeah, and like you said, D and D, when you're really into it and playing it, it is this weird mix of like, it's like nerding out, it's like video games, and it's also just a lot of improv and acting yeah. and creating. So by you're almost by being a warlock, forcing the DM to be your scene partner whenever you want <laughs> whenever you want you can just start tagging with them and they're like okay here we go yes. i'm gonna have a, a dialogue so i've been asking some people 10 years from now so you're 10 years in the future that person's come back to today what advice do you think you'd give yourself probably it's okay to chill out just or or in fact do chill out please um yeah i think it's i think it's like well maybe not even chill out just more of a like um uh the shruggy emoji like not not advice is like uh, i don't know but it's more like what do you, you're you're worried about the wrong things i guess something like that where where it's like like if i had to ask my so I, here here's the scenario that i'm picturing in my mind i ask my older self well, well, what do I do? What do I do next? What, what's, what's the thing I should be pursuing? And who should I be trying to meet? And what, what, what goal should I be setting? And they go, they look at me like I'm absolutely insane. And they shrug at me like that. None of that matters. Don't, don't worry about it. Like, you know, you by nature of just taking any steps forward, it's going to lead here. So I don't know, like, I hope, hope you enjoy the ride because you're going here anyway which i guess sounds like i believe in a railroaded future but i in in some ways that's calming where it's like well you can't really it's not like i don't have any choices but my choices are to enjoy the ride or not to enjoy the ride meanwhile the ride is happening you know more like that mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah just just telling you to like it's like the stream scenario like you're floating downstream anyways so you can either panic and hit every <laughs> rock or you could try to float on your back and like try to try to navigate a, like loosely through that i also love to know where is your head at with the concepts of thoughts and you mentioned this a little bit uh but about being rich and famous like where do you sit with this well i i have an interesting perspective because in a way i know i'm almost almost famous on the podcast but in a way, in a very niche D and D world, I am, I would say, mm -hmm. famous without, you know, too much humility, but not too much pride either. Just like kind of matter of fact, I am a known person. I don't know how else you define fame, but um, so I do. So I would say 
I'm, I'm good there, you know, like being, being more famous. I just love that when I go to conventions or gaming or I'm on the internet, um, when I want to be, you know, all curated and, and here's the picture of me with actual makeup on and stuff like that, I, I get, I, and I, and also I'm known for like something fairly delightful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like D and D is just delightful. And then there's one video that, that is me trying not to laugh and failing. So breaking character and, and that, that video is what most people know me. So that's just delightful. Right. So, so the way people know me is like, as a fairly delightful person. And it's, so it has less to do about even D and D like, like there's talent there, but it's also, again, like the main, the main adjective you're using there is fun. So I'm a, so I, I think if, if I had to be objective about it and, and take away all my caveats of my actual personality, I think the way the world um, mainly views me in this, in this D&D niche is fun and delightful. And God damn, that's great. You know, like to, to be at a convention or, or in these uh, game stores or whatever, and, and people feel like you're approachable. So let's like, say hi, the Ren Faire, people said hi, you know, like, so it, but it's not like, oh, I'm at the grocery store and people say hi. It's like in these nerd worlds. And, and, and then I know that we have some shared um, commonalities. Like, it sounds like you're at the Ren Fair, So you probably like a mixture of high fantasy, medieval, obviously medieval times, a, a little bit of um, whimsy. We probably have something to talk about. So, so like, I'm not being inauthentic when I'm like, oh, hi, who are you? Like, what are you doing here? How, you know, like I want, I genuinely want to know and they genuinely, genuinely want to know how I'm doing and it's less parasocial in those instances. Mm. So, so that's pretty cool. So as far as the famous goes, being more famous, like maybe I could stomach it, but I don't think so. I think I'm a fairly private person. And as long as the people who know me are self uh, self-effacing and and just like have given themselves the badge of nerd I think we're good because we're both like I'm a little scared of you but but you seem nice so I'm brave enough to talk to you and we're both in that world totally great um, when more famous would be a little bit like other people expecting things from me which I'm definitely not there so that's cool mm. um, like expecting my time and energy I still am able to say no so rich though, rich, rich, rich. How do I feel about that? I think I feel, yeah, I think I feel good. I'm, I'm wrapping my head around like this, at this point in my life, I'm trying to get okay with saying fuck tons of money because it, it, I know that I need to define that a little bit more, but, it, but what it means for me is um, I guess comfort and breathing room, like where it's like, oh no, this happened. But instead of, oh no, it's just, oh, this happened and I can fix it or solve it by throwing money at it because that's how our world works. Or breathing room where it's like, I want this experience or I want this item and not having, eh, there's a part of me that actually likes the tension of like, well, hold on, let's take a look at the budget and can I, I do like the tension, but maybe not all the time. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe some of the times there's like some breathing room where it's like, ooh, fuck it. because Part of my, part of the way I, I want to live my life is with what I call a little bit of a stinker attitude where it's like, ah, I see. So this is what's happening. Well, fuck that. I'm going to, you know, be horizontal all the day and watch Netflix. So haha, you know, like, like there's a part of me that needs that little rebellious because I'm so good and vanilla that I, I like the, the stinker parts too. So, so being rich, I think, I think would be okay with me, but am I supposed to put a money figure on it? I don't know if I could. Yeah. 
I like that. I find when I talk to people who are kind of famous in some niche areas, it's, it's the type of fame people kind of want where it's like, you're known and respected for the thing you want to be known and respected for. You also, like you said, you know, you can go certain places and have, and kind of prep yourself going, I probably will be recognized because I'm going to this location where these people will be and not wherever I go. I don't know where there's an ambush. I don't know who's going to come up to me. I don't know what they're going to expect or want. It's like, you can be like, I'm going to this convention. Yes. A little bit, a little undercurrent is the expectation. Someone probably will recognize me and almost pride to a degree. I kind of hope someone recognizes me, you know, like a little bit of like getting ready to be like, oh yes, there is another side of this that I enjoy. I think that's, that's fair. That's pretty accurate. Like I, I think it would be a very different experience to, um, to walk down the street or go get groceries or, you know, like come from the gym or whatever. And it's like an ambush is waiting. Like, I don't, I don't have, I'm working on having a stronger nervous system, but I don't have a nervous system that would support that at all. Yeah. The only time I feel like you probably love an ambush is in a D and D campaign. <laughs> nice yeah when you're safely your character. nice especially when you're the dungeon master and you've planned it surprise bitches speaking of surprise bitches this is the time in the show when uh the famed insult roast comic comes out to take the guests down a peg because you know you're almost <laughs> almost famous he can't have you get too big so now we're gonna bring out okay. uh insult comic raz clifford Come on out, Russ. Yeah. Hey, Russ. Okay. Oh, uh, here we go. Oh, folks, it's the one and only Amy Vorpal. What? You're an identical twin? Okay, it's the one of two. Oh my God. <laughs> Everybody, there's no surprise you've been listening. Amy's a big old nerd who loves playing Dungeons and Dragons. But what's really surprising, folks, is she has friends to play with. Hey! Didn't think that would happen. That's not cool. It's pretty cool. All right. And she was thrilled when she realized there's actually a sword called the Vorpal Sword, which is ironic because she won't be able to cut it in this business. Okay. <laughs> but I hate it. I know, but I love it. Amy, Amy, folks, you got to know, Amy is number one to me. But I mean that in D&D dice roll speak. She's a critical fail. <gasps> Rude! It's true. It's true. She has a real gift for playing such believable idiots both on and off the screen. It's, it's incredible. Amy, your comedy to me is a lot like global warming. If we don't act now to stop it, it could kill us all. <laughs> Doomsday Raz, you ever see me out at any Renaissance fair, just kindly tell me that clearly I'm in a fugue state and I should never be there because, good God, I'd rather be dead. All right. <laughs> Bye. Oh, bye. Bye. Oh, what a what a negative influence on the world. Yeah. But uh, he does it with a smile. He does. <laughs> he tries to bring the Ren, it up. The Ren Fair, the Ren Fair to, to accidentally enter into a Ren Fair, that would be something. There's a lot of you have to drive and wait in the in a parking lot for a very long time to Yeah, get to there, completely so. have no idea where you're like to come to in a Renaissance fair. I feel like that's got to be a, a bit jarring to the point where you think, you'd have to think for a second, did I time travel? Yeah, 
like yeah, did I? Sure. And then you start to notice like sneakers and like someone like glancing at a cell phone. And you're like, what is? Did something weird? Alter- am I in an episode of Sliders? Like that's also what I would feel like. Yeah. I, if you weren't uh, acting, performing, writing, and stuff in the entertainment uh, field, and I would include kind of you know all the the n- digital nerd land things you're doing. Yeah. Definitely, I would say those are also entertainment. What field do you think you'd be interested in or any other occupations? Now, granted, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but this would just be... Yeah, the hypothetical. Well, I do have a twin sister who is not in the entertainment industry, so that feels like a fairly good mirror. Um, she she followed in my dad's footsteps and, and is an oil engineer. So while I don't know if I would go into the oil business, I do, you know, tutoring high school math. I was always very good at math and physics. So I would, I think I would do that field because I'm, I have the brain for it. It comes easy to me and it's exciting. Like to calm myself down sometimes I'll do, I'll, I'll just go online and like relearn some, I don't know, you know, high, higher education math problems. Mm-hmm. So, because math is finite and you know, what isn't writing, creative writing. Uh, and that's, that can be anxiety inducing when it's just like, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of logic to story and a lot there, arguably math to story, but algebra, you know, plug mm. and play. But, but I think, I think it would be something like that. Yeah. Um, you appreciate the, the, the formulas, the, in a way I always, I felt that I was fairly decent at math too. And looking at it now as an adult and loving D and D and games and stuff, I go like, oh, I think I just like solving things. Yeah. And then knowing they're solved, right? And knowing like, they're cause, solved. Because like story problems, I mean, even when you solve them or a character issues or arcs or whatever, it's like it, when it all comes together, you, you can feel like, oh, yeah, this is correct. But it's still subjective. Like it's still mm-hmm. is like right to you. But will the audience be fooled or will they see this coming? And then it's not quite right. Right. Like, yeah. So uh, anyway, yeah. that I like I like the math. I like the 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 absolute binary of yes this is the right answer or no this is not the right answer yeah that's very comforting now speaking of a thing where there's probably no right or wrong answer here we go uh <laughs> if you have been apologies but inevitably when you're a guest on a late night talk show what's a story you'd love to tell i think the entertainment industry has come a long way as far as um making comments on people's appearances and especially women I think men as well, but uh, there was one time I went to a commercial audition and this was early on in my career. And they, the, there was a woman um, in front of me and she was young as well. Uh, and and the, the session runner was like, I'm sorry, you can't audition. You can't audition. We're looking, that's not what we're looking for. Um, you're too pretty. I know what the, I know what the, you know, the directors are in the room and, and you, you just can't audition. And she was like, but my agent sent me and I drove all this way. And he's like, who's your agent? You should just call them and tell them like it, your headshot isn't representing who you are. You're just too pretty. You can't audition. And, and so kind of like, I don't know, antagonizing her and made her leave really. So she's leaving feeling like absolute garbage. And I'm next in line, like to sign in. And I come up and he looks at me and goes, you're perfect. <laughs> it was like it was just this it was just I I don't know that I ever really internalized it I thought it was so ridiculous and and funny no but yeah if I had to say it it, it felt bizarre and and not great like yeah. it, I don't think I, I made it 
I don't think I internalize like my self worth, but yeah, like it's this white man at the stupid counter telling one girl she's too pretty and one girl she's the exact right amount of not pretty. And both both people walk away feeling bad because oh like, yeah, like be told like you're too pretty so you can't do your job, you can't audition. It's like right. I would have been like, yeah, you got brought in for this. Go in. Yeah, Don't. you're here. That that gatekeeper has no right or say in what they're thinking in that room. It's just like he in his head can think, I think that girl's too pretty for this type of commercial, whatever. But to be saying it out loud, just so you, the next person in line, can be hit with the wave of like, that's what I'm talking about. The classic regular face or whatever it is. You're just like, yes. oh my God. I've, I, yeah, I, I laugh sometimes at my like the breakdowns because I often go in for like bold, not attractive yes regular yes. looking comical face and i'm just like yeah okay i gotta just i know and it well it used to be like a little bit but now i'm like fuck off i know exactly like i know what about me is attractive so like you know what i mean yeah i don't i don't ever take it like i've it, yeah. none of it's personal it's just like whatever like i'm i like yes. how i look i feel like yes, i am attractive yes. I, I'm not still though there in. is that still where you're like are we we're really still doing this I mean this I get is... it like when you need I mean how else are, you know as a writer you're like no this woman has to be drop dead gorgeous like she's turning every head in the in the thing like she has to be this kind of person to tell the story like it is it right. is a story mechanism and if if they're not a model or, or not of that ilk yeah would this actually be believable like I get it and I know I know which I know where I fit in the story, but yeah, I find it. I do. I still find it hilarious. That now that was arguably 14, 13 years ago. So yeah. I think so the world has changed. It's gotten somewhat better, but there's still going to be those moments, of course. Yes, um, and I will never submit for model. I just won't. Like try it. I oh, should. Maybe. We all should. We all should. Yeah. I'm the model. Everyone's I'm the model, model that you deserve. <laughs> well, Amy, you've been a you've been a model guest. I'll give you that. <laughs> Thanks so much for hopping on and, and chatting. Is there anything the listener should be kind of keeping their eyes or ears or anything peeled for of what coming down the pipeline? Okay, I'll do one thing you should keep an eye out and one thing that maybe you'll have some thoughts on. So the thing you should keep an eye out for is I am writing, um, arguably head writing a, not project directing, but head writing a, an RPG book, a world building and campaign setting and adventure book for a new thing that's uh kickstarting it's called dark symmetry it's on my it's pinned on my twitter and it's my link in my bio in my instagram which is at vorpal sword but anyway that's what i'm working on it is a longer form thing so that won't be like it's not very instagrammable or like check out the progress like it's long form so it's very slow but that also brings me to daniel this is a thing that maybe you have some thoughts on I've been on the internet for so long and, and doing D and D and, and improv and one shots. And that is, that is a instant gratification um, sandwich. Uh, you know, it's like a bite-sized meal. Uh, you make your thing or even songs. It's like, well, you work on it. You're not going to be working on it for probably definitely not, no more than 10 hours, probably not more than five, really, honestly, maybe not more than three. And then you have a song, right. And then, and then you can put it out and like play your ukulele and ding, ding, ding. And same with improv, same with D&D, like you, you go there, you do your session three hours later, uh, or even during people are watching it and commenting. 
and then liking TikToks, Instagram videos, all of that kind of stuff, you're getting the instant gratification. But for long form stuff, which I'm, I've got two projects that are, I'm, I'm beyond the RPG book that one is a TV pilot, one is a, a feature and, and going from instant gratification to will anyone ever see this um, is arguably why I'm in therapy right now. It is, it is really tough mm. to have, like, it's what I want to do. It's what I'm passionate. I'm, I want to have a story that like begins and ends. And I have a say of what that story is. That is, that is what I'm mostly interested in now after having done so many sketches and stuff, but the transition um, is, is really brutal, especially because writing is a solo experience. So anyway, do you have any thoughts on that? I would just say, take off the pressure of if or when anyone's going to read it. And I always <laughs> go try into to, it as if no one will ever see. This. I tell myself, oh, what's fun about this? I try to flip it being like, no one might actually see this. So I can put whatever I want down. I can create whatever I want without any judgment. Like no one's going to judge if it's good or bad. It's almost like the opposite take on it of being like, oh, great. I could write whatever the heck I want right now because it isn't going to go out there. And then at some point it might, but to start from a place of like, is anyone, what That's am I doing brilliant. this for? That is brilliant because it's also like, well, what if I made something that was guaranteed not to have any trolls or YouTube comments? What would I make then? Which in the D&D community, no one, well, I don't say no one's a troll, but it's like few and far between. Like I feel very safe posting stuff. Well, um, I would say in the D&D world, there are some people literally playing trolls. And <laughs> but I know what you mean. <laughs> oh, that was so dumb. Um, okay, that's amazing though. You're a genius and- uh, I got I got a little bit of therapy out of this, so I'm I'm a happy camper. Thanks. Well, for that. thank you again for hopping on and chatting, and thanks again, listeners, for listening. I'm your host Daniel Akron. This has been almost almost famous. Mm-hmm.